the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Firing Line with Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Vortex Optics, Cutting Edge Bullets, and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now, your host, Rick Travis. Happy Saturday, fellow patriots, and welcome to Fine Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. And today we're going to be discussing a wonderful group that I work with all the time in Sacramento and throughout the state. Um, I have my good friend with me, Devin O'Day, from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, who are doing some really powerful things statewide. Devin, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, Rick. Good to be here. So, Devin, um, explain who all is involved in Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And I'm a proud member, but I mean, besides me. <laughs> yeah, so we're uh, a North America-wide nonprofit, 501c3. We've got chapters in 48 states, uh, two Canadian provinces, and a couple territories. We uh, advocate for wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. So our work, you know, really takes us um, in, you know, the halls of Congress um, on a grassroots level mobilizing um, support for public lands and waters, access and opportunity to hunt, you know, fair chase principles, um, good quality habitat, clean water, all the things that, you know, we want to see as sportsmen and women. And, um, you know, we, so we're doing that in one hand in, in Congress and, and through the legislatures, the fish and game commissions and all the appropriate state and federal avenues there. And then on the other hand, um, we've got boots on the ground projects that uh, we're doing to, um, you know, build, uh, build community one, but also, you know, restore and enhance fish and wildlife habitat, um, access pro- uh, projects and, um, opportunities on the ground to get our members out and engaged in the conservation work, which, you know, I think having that, that opportunity for folks to really participate in the restoration projects or, and to support the fish and wildlife agencies, it just helps people to understand and get a closer connection to the issues that then they become better advocates when they see firsthand what's happening on the ground. That's the real high level. And um, I can dive into some projects and some of the recent things and works that's happening, but that's, that's who we are. And um, yeah, it's a great, you know, exciting organization to be a part of and worked here for a few years now and was a member for a long time before that. And uh, just got, you know, Figured it was it was my passion. I better uh, leave the marketing manager job and jump into this uh, head first. So, and I'm so glad you did, Devin. You've been a great asset here in California. One of the things that I wanted to dove into a little bit is, you know, you talked about at the thirty thousand foot level, 
water quality, land quality, the viability for species. And I think California suffers a lot from that because there's been a lot of mismanagement statewide. And so, yeah, if we could dive into like one or two of the projects just to kind of give our audience kind of an idea of some of those issues, because you're absolutely correct. It's it's one thing to hear me talk, which I do all the time on the station about here's what's gone in Sacramento, here's the impacts, but hearing the other side, which is what I'm trying to bring on this show, is what we're really looking at. So give us a couple of the projects. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So I'll give you the the next two projects that we have in the pipeline right now. Um, at the end of the month, we have uh, an event that's called Beer Bands and Bitter Brush Stands. So this is part of, this is year two of a pretty large uh, grant that we received from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation to restore uh, sagebrush, bitterbrush habitat, and grassland um, ecosystems uh, in an important winter range migration corridor for mule deer, for a couple of migratory mule deer herds, um, for pronghorn antelope, and there's also elk um, in the in the near vicinity that that would likely use this habitat. And so this this project. Um, you know, we've been working on it for a while. We, we've been collecting seed on the wildlife area. Um, and that seed has been grown out at a local prison, um, FCI Harelong through the Sagebrush and Prisons program. So it's a voluntary program for prisoners. Um, and it's very well received, like very popular among, um, the inmates that participate in it. Um, they grow out all the, the plants that we use in these post fire restoration projects. And the bitter brush is just really important winter forage for mule deer. Um, and antelope, it's, it got wiped out in a series of fires. Um, and every time there's a fire, you usually get cheap grass. That cheap grass kind of spreads. It's really, um, fire prone and, and it e- very easily quickly spreads and really exacerbates fires, makes them hotter, burn hotter. And what would have been like, you know, just a normal kind of good fire before the cheap grass oftentimes burns so hot that it just wipes out the bitter brush stands that could have uh, resisted or, or grown back after like a moderate fire. And so, um, what we're working is we've been mapping out all that cheatgrass, um, and invasive species for the department to go in and control. And then we're going to be actually planting 20,000 bitter brush plants, um, a few thousand sagebrush plants and several thousand plants of cultural significance to the Washoe tribe who are also, um, you know, been, been working with us on this, on this grant to advise, you know, um, some of those plants that we should use and, you know, the interesting thing about the Washoe plants, uh, they're all, every single one of them is like a really good pollinator species plant. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all almost like real, very popular with wildlife. So there's a lot of overlap between, you know, w- what these plant, these cultural plants are, are really good for wildlife. And it's also something that we're excited to, to add, um, because it's a priority for the tribe. And when I was collecting seed out there, actually, I flushed a bunch of quail out of, uh, a wild rose bush. So I was like, you know, firsthand, yeah. you can see, you can see the impact, uh, there and the, the benefit. So yeah, this, at the end of the month, we've got bands, we got beer, we got, um, you know, huge raffles. We're, we're going to have onsite camping, um, just about 30 minutes from the project site. We've got a, this really cool venue that we rented. People are going to come out and camp. Uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have just a big community gathering and then we're all going to go out and plant, uh, these plants that we grew out on the wildlife area. That is, that is very, very cool. And where would they go to find out about that? So if you go to, um, backcountryhunters.org, go to our website and events, um, you look at events in California. This will be the next one coming up for us. 
And, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing this again next year as well. So this is the first, first of its kind and, and we'll be doing more of that next year. And it's kind of a general, uh, we did an event similar model, um, in Colorado with like a big kind of community gathering bands and music. And then they ripped out five miles of fencing and, and, um, migration corridors for elk and mule deer and antelope. And, you know, they, they had a really bad winter, a bunch of mortalities in this area. And so, um, these are just old abandoned barbed wire fences that they're pulling out. Very cool. Yeah. And then the next one I'll mention, uh, the second project that we've got that's going to be just after this one in November is the third project that we've done, um, with the United States Marines to support bighorn sheep. And so this is something that has quite a few partners involved, um, you know, CDFW and Anzaborego State Park and the Wild Sheep Foundation. There's been donations from um, the Anzaborego Foundation, the Sikwan Casino. And um, so there's a lot of different like layers and partners there. But uh, this this one, we've got a, a helicopter squadron, HMLAT 303, that's going to be flying new guzzler tanks in to wilderness to replace the guzzlers that um, are aging and are kind of at risk of, of not really working anymore and are starting to have some issues. So, you know, these guzzlers support the bighorn sheep. They provide resilience during the drought. Um, this is an endangered subspecies. They're called peninsular bighorn sheep. There were only 300 of them just a few years ago, and there are about 800 now. So because in large part to efforts, you know, like large scale lands conservation, but also guzzlers and things like that, um, for their habitat, these, uh, sheep are allowed to, are, are able to kind of bounce back a little bit. And so, yeah, we go out and we, we do the ground operations, get the tanks, um, plumbed up when the Marines, they'll, they'll fly in, pull them out, bring a new tank in. They set the birds down in the desert. Um, we usually camp out with them. It's a, it's a good crowd. It's, uh, you know, they, they do it, they're volunteering, but it's great training for the Marines. So, right. uh, you know, it's a really cool partnership where they're excited to do it because it breaks the monotony. They get some really cool training in doing long line work. And when we did this, uh, two years ago, the after action report, they said it was the most varsity training they'd ever done in North America because of the, the heat and the canyons and the long lines. And so it's real technical stuff and it's just incredible right. what they can do. So we're really grateful for that partnership. So this is one of the things I want to get out to people is a lot of times people think that organizations like yours and ours and others in this space are not partnering with people, but these partnerships are broad and it, it does suggest that there are people that believe in hunting, believe in conservation that can come together from multiple different backgrounds. I think that's one of the things your organization does really, really well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that tent, the, the open tent of conservation, you know, we need it to be as broad as possible. And I think there's a lot of things that we can all see eye to eye on. And certainly every organization is going to have like the, some overlap points there. I think that we can all agree on as far as habitat, clean water, and um, we want to see abundant wildlife populations and there's things that we won't agree on, but you know, we got to come together on this, the important stuff for sure. Yeah. I think that that's going to be important as we move into, in this next segment, talking about, being public landowners and our ability to access those public lands, because that is becoming a heated debate that has been going on, as you and I both know, for well over a century and a half, at least here in this country. And so we'll be back here on Fine Line Radio in just a couple of seconds. 
Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the legislative director with the California Rifle Pistol Association. And with me today is my ally from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Devin O'Day, and we're discussing being public landowners, and which all of you out there listening are. And many of you are probably like me. You've caught a couple of different films over the years, things like Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall and Open Range, or maybe you go back even further with Robert Duvall and have watched him in some of his, his famous cowboy movies. But a lot of these movies have one thing in common, and that's to talk about what part of land is cut off from people because big ranchers like Costner and Yellowstone own it, don't want anybody on it, got to keep them off. Versus when he played the opposite role um, in Open Range where he said, hey, no, like the land is the people's land and people should be able to go on it. And believe it or not, here in the Western United States, we have an issue with a lot of land that is owned by um, government agencies that's open to the public, probably the biggest one being the Bureau of Land Management, but there's also Department of Energy, some DOD land and some others in there, versus private property. And it's created a weird checkerboard that is now known commonly in both the legislative and the litigation being the legal side of the house as corner crossings. Devin, tell us about the corner crossing issue with hunting, because I know you guys have a, a very good lawsuit going on. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So, you know, to break this one down further, you know, the issue really came about because of, uh, railroads and, and the land that was kind of deeded after, um, westward expansion and the railroads and the way the land was, was kind of carved up and parceled up. It, it left this checkerboard pattern of, um, the federal government owning of every other piece and parcel there. And so over time, you know, with, with a lot of those, um, 
going into private ownership, you and and some of them being consolidated um, into private ownership, you get this this really large checkerboard pattern um, in the West where um, they're you know ninety degree angles, and um, the law right now is 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 a gray area uh, on are you allowed to go from one corner to another? So um, there are you know you you imagine that. Um, you know, you're, you're literally stepping over a point and, uh, that, you know, mathematically kind of goes to an infinitesimally small point. But nonetheless, there are equal corners on either side by private landowners and the public. And, uh, you know, there are private landowners that have argued that it is not legal to go from one corner to another corner. So stepping only from public land onto public land, never touching, touching foot on private land, that that's not legal. And, you know, I think we, our organization has worked on this issue and, and talked about this issue for a long time. And, you know, recently, a few years ago, there were four hunters, uh, from Missouri that went, um, to Wyoming to hunt and they did their research. They brought a ladder. They stepped from one corner of public land to another corner of public land, public land going through, you know, a very small fraction of the airspace of a private land parcel. And as a result, um, the private landowner, uh, tried to get them arrested. And initially the, um, you know, there, there wasn't really any interest in them being arrested. They were told by the warden, you know, it's not, it's not really gonna, not gonna arrest these guys. And then, um, influence over, uh, you know, the influence kind of like pressed through there and they were actually charged, uh, by this wealthy landowner. And, uh, they were charged with criminal and civil, um, offenses. So there's two court cases there. Um, BHA, w- we're really interested in resolving this, uh, this issue. Obviously we want to respect and protect private land rights. Um, that's really important to us, even though we talk a lot about public lands, you know, we don't want anything to be misconstrued as we're trying to come after private land rights. Like that's the farthest thing from the truth. We just want to clarify the access to public lands, um, which we feel there are, you know, it's, it's important thing that, that people should be allowed to access those public lands since there's, you know, uh, about almost 10 million acres. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's 2 million acres in Wyoming alone. And, and so this court case, the criminal, we've been fundraising for the legal defense of these, of these hunters that were uh, charged. And, and because of small donations from grassroots membership, uh, we've been able to fundraise you know, over a hundred thousand dollars for them. And the first case, the criminal case was, uh, they won that case. There were no charges. And then the civil case, the private landowner was arguing that they did seven million dollars in damages yeah. to his property I because they, I, I, I want to go over this really carefully because people yeah. missed this for not stepping on their land, but stepping over the airspace above their land yeah. did seven million dollars in damages. Yeah, that, that, you know, going through their airspace somehow damaged the land by $7 million. But the reason that valuation came about because they took the acreage of the public land that existed there and they basically lumped it into the value of their ranch. And they said, well, that's ours. Like we own that land essentially because that's $7 million worth of land. And we're like, no, it's public land. Like, just because you have exclusive access to it right now, because you've been policing this corner, doesn't mean that you own that land or that no one else should be allowed to, to go to that land, whether you're hunting or bird watching or whatever, you should be allowed to access that land. And so 
the first case um, was that we actually won that case. Um, BHA submitted an amicus brief. Uh, the chair of the California chapter of BHA, Eric Hansen, he wrote the amicus brief for us. Um, his law firm donated, you know, some time for him to work on this and, uh, he put together a great case. Um, looking back at some old case law and the unlawful enclosures act and a few other things that, um, kind of played into the fact that, yeah, that, you know, there's no damages. You can, he, they, they can't obstruct you from accessing corner to corner. And so not, uh, unsurprisingly, the private landowner has appealed, um, the case. And so that case is going up. Um, and you know, it's something that we could see depending on what happens, um, at the next level here, we could see going to the Supreme court really, uh, because it's, it's just a huge issue and it impacts so many acres of federal land. And after that first court case, I mean, the director of the BLM had said, basically indicated like corner crossing is you know, you can go ahead and do it. And then they rolled it back and said, well, actually, no, 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 you can't do that. Like we're, we're not sure yet. Um, right. And, and that's been, it's just the ambiguity still persists and, you know, we want to respect those private land rights, but we feel that it's, you know, if you're not touching private lands, you're going from corner to corner. These are our public lands. Anyone should be able to access them. We should be able to hunt on them. And we're looking for that solution that uh, works for everybody. No, and I think this is important because, I mean, there there are some private people, but there are also, as you had said, um, some conglomerates that have had the attitude that if they bought up all these pieces of land, they also get the federal public lands as theirs, too. And they use them for big ag and things like that that are industrial-sized farms and stuff like this. And I think right now that's a segment of the population that's starting to, to raise some serious and long-overdue questions about those kinds of operations. and. Like I said, I wasn't trying to be funny, but this is not a new subject matter. I mean, this has been something in the West that we've been arguing for 150 years. And it's time to get the Supreme Court to say what is and what isn't right. Because I know it's, you know, until they brought up, and I'm not plugging the company, although they're good, but like Onyx, until I had Onyx, it was sometimes hard to tell when you were in the woods, like, am I on state forest, national forest, private land? Because here in California, it can be a jigsaw puzzle when you're in the Sierras of whose land, what county, where you're at on any given point on a trail because you're, you know, crossing through easements and other things like that that people don't realize. Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely a game changer having, being able to see where those, those land, um, ownership boundaries are. And I think it's, it's also helped people to understand really like the scale of the problem of the corner crossing issue and just how much land really is landlocked. And, right. you know, it's, it's, it's close to 10 million acres. Well, it's a, it's over a quarter of a million here in California. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and people don't, you know, realize it here in California, even that we we have this, this issue. And, um, you know, it, depending on whether or not the land is posted, like the rules are a little bit different here in California than they are in Wyoming, but the issue is, is really the same. Um, just getting access to those lands. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see the amount of enthusiasm and to see where this court case is, has gone and the initial w- victory there. Um, and, and it's, it's not a, it's not set in stone yet, but it, we're hoping that it could be a domino effect for, for the rest of the West to, you know, just provide access where, where it's due. And like you said, the, you know, conglomerates and the private landowners buying up these lands to privatize wildlife. 
um, and these mega ranches, like, you know, do what you want to do, but keep the public lands open for the rest of us. Yeah, and I think it's also important, and, and we're going to explore this a little bit more in the next segment, but I think people have to realize this is just one of the public land access issues in getting to public lands. I mean, we have so many things from illegal closures to processes not being followed by different agencies and things that cut off our taxpayer land that belongs to us to be able to go out there and do the things that we need to do. And so we're going to be looking at this because it impacts not just hunting, but a lot of other things that we do here in California on Firing Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Come and get them! Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. Today we're going to be looking deeper into this segment about corner crossing. My name is Rick Travis. I'm the Legislative Director of California Rifle Pistol Association. With me is Devin O'Day from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And Devin, we were talking about corner crossing, and I really want to get into the this whole public land access issue because, you know, we've had out here in the West, we've had rivers have been attempted to be cut off. We've had all sorts of issues like that. So I know here in California, we had a bill brought forward on navigable waters. And I think that's really important because there's been some um, people, outdoors people that have gotten themselves in situations with various law enforcement agencies where could you or could you not be on those waters during different seasons. And so uh, let's break that down a little bit um, before we go into a joint project that we've both been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the lands side, uh, you know, and the access issues there are, are definitely huge and there's, there's so many different twists and turns there, but, you know, going from corner crossing into the navigable waters issue, that, that, that's one that really dates back, um, into a lot of, of like old, old case law and, and, you know, English common law and, and Roman, uh, law and the Magna Carta, um, yeah which is, you know, like the waters are, are owned by the people. Like this is a, a re- the waters and the wildlife, they're, they're, you know, state resources, but they're, they're, they're held in trust for the people. And so, you know, on, on navigable waters there, there is a, you know, bill in the legislature right now that um, sitting on the governor's desk, I believe that would clarify um, some gray area on the flooded waters rule which, uh, you know, it, according to an opinion from the attorney general, um, you know, a little, a couple decades ago that it, it the, the legislature basically tried to get in and, and, and sort of solve this issue of, of navigable waters and hunting on flooded waters. And they really just kind of mucked it up. Um, and, 
and and the decisions there was basically like unconstitutional according to the opinion of the attorney general and so that attorney general's opinion and the way that the law is currently enforced and kind of um adjudicated one when, when there are infractions um this is just this bill aims to save some time and resources to clarify that uh and you know to hold true to the tenets of navigable waters and access um which you know are it is one of the greatest resources that we have here and something the state of california has a lot of case law to back up that you know if you are on navigable waters you can access um you know if you're on a craft if it can be floated by a, a craft you paddle with a an oar it's navigable water that's the definition in the state and so um you know and you can hunt um those waters you can fish those waters and that's a really that's a huge win for for public landowners for people that want to hunt people just want to raft or explore new areas that's like a an amazing um right that we have and and it's something that that does need to be defended and clarified every once in a while um there was an issue on the Truckee River this year that we worked on uh to clarify that one yeah, and, and let's go into that Truckee River issue because I think, you know, we're talking and we're used to this in the capital and stuff at, at a higher level. But break down like what happened on to make the Truckee River an issue so that the average person can to know what we're talking about. Yeah, so so last year um there was a couple anglers who uh there's an angler and a guide and um they went to fish the Truckee River River. They accessed it by the Hirschdale Bridge. Um there's a public easement any anywhere there's a bridge over navigable water um you're you're allowed to access the river within um i don't know if it's 30 feet or 60 feet from that bridge um forget the exact spacing but um you're legally allowed to to access there it's a public easement and so that's where they access the river they were fishing they got confronted by a warden who told them that uh they were trespassing that they were fishing on private land and so even if a private land owner um, owns the river, the land around the, the the river. They don't own the the navigable water itself, so they they can't um, they can own the the river bottom, but it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to to go in and and, and access it. So um, the warden was under the assumption that this was not a navigable water um, because it wasn't uh, recognized in you know harbor code i forget exactly where they were citing it but um it wasn't listed as a navigable water but that's not the state judge for this the state judge for navigable waters is can you float it with a a craft that can be paddled by an orb and a few other uh, metrics there but that's the big one and so um you know they reached the the warden basically told him hey you need to you should probably leave you're you're trespassing but he didn't cite them and so it was kind of interesting how that went about and so they they left they reached out to us we reached out to the warden. We reached out to the warden's supervisor. Um, you know, the anglers did this as well. The supervisor told the angler that, yes, uh, the warden was correct. This is not a navigable water. You're not allowed to fish there. And so, you know, we got together with some partners with the department. We we put together a, a letter really going through all the, the tenets of case law that we could see the fact that this is 100% without a doubt a navigable water. Like, there's no, there's no gray area there. And that, um, the, you know, the department needs to course correct here and, 
and, and make sure that no one's getting hassled for fishing on the Truckee River because it's a navigable water. And it took a long time and it took a lot of pressing. And we tried to do this through the proper channels and not, uh, cause we worked really well. We, we, we work really closely with the department, right? And we want to, mm-hmm. we understand things happen and, and, uh, wires can get crossed. And so we, uh, worked with them and they ended up, um, putting out a communication to all the, to the whole law enforcement division that the Truckee's navigable. Um, you're allowed to fish there. And, uh, it was a huge, huge win there, I think. And something that, uh, what we went about it, hopefully the right way. And I think it was well received and, um, yeah, we got, we got that sort of secured for, for anglers and clarified. Great job. And we're very grateful. You know, as we're talking about this, one of the things that I think is important for people to realize is we also get involved very much in wildlife. And I know we talked about deer in the first couple of segments, but, um, I'm going to briefly talk about one incident that's going on right now in California. Just so y'all know, here in Catalina, we've had deer that were, um, whether you want to go with introduced or reintroduced, there's two different arguments there that we may talk about in a later show, but, uh, Wrigley, uh, Wrigley Spearmint Gum, uh, Wrigley's that owned the Chicago Cubs, one of the reasons for them being on the island, had brought mule deer to, to Catalina. That herd is currently somewhere in the neighborhood of, give or take a little bit, 2,000 deer. Um, hunters are able currently to go out and hunt about 200 of them a year, but the population's gotten bigger and bigger. And so now people that are advocating for the plant life on the island are advocating that the beer, the deer be wiped out by contracting with a Connecticut based company to come out and use of all things AR-15s, which the state says none of us should have, but they're going to pay people to use helicopters and gun them down, which has brought an interesting collection of people that don't normally sit on the same side of the table from people like myself to PETA to others who are saying this is wrong and shouldn't be done this way. A couple of the arguments that are being presented that way is we have chronic wasting disease um, throughout the country that unfortunately is ravaging deer populations, and they've been looking for a population of deers that would not have it, would never have been exposed to it to try to, to bring back some of those herds. Well, I happen to know where there's 2,000 deer that nobody's crossed a, a channel of 27 miles of open ocean to get to. That might be useful. There's also the argument that these deer may be protected under the Endangered Species Act in the state because there's, like I said, only 2,000 of them, and uh, they've been isolated for quite some time, so their DNA is distinctively different from some of their counterparts throughout the rest of California, and we've seen this in other species like cougars and bobcats and things like that. So um, you're going to be hearing more and more about those arguments, and we'll be exploring them. But this also comes down to... You know, we live in a time where a lot of people try to humanize um, animals. Uh, we see that with some people that have their dogs and baby strollers and things like that. And I'm not putting that down. If that's what somebody wants to do, that's that's their choice. That's their dog. But when we do it to wildlife like bears and start to say, oh, bears are cute, bears, um, and they can be. But because of that cute factor, we shouldn't do anything has led to a massive issue with bears in this state. Um, about 10 years ago, the carrying capacity for the state, meaning how much land is necessary to take care of bears, limited bears to about 28,000. Recent reports have put that at least two and a half to maybe three times the number of bears that we currently have in California. And that is creating a huge issue that we're going to be exploring as we get into our final segment today, because this is an area that Devin and I are part of a committee of people from multiple organizations working on a statewide bear management plan 
that will allow the public to see bears, see them in their natural habitat, have those safe interactions, while also protecting other species because bears are an apex predator and bears are at this oversized population doing damage to a lot of other species that um, do not always get in the public eye when we're talking about the cute factor of, you know, the bear. And uh, we have to remember, Yogi and a lot of the other bears are cartoon bears. That's not what real bears are. And we'll talk about that in this last segment of the Farming Line Radio. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. The Greater Long Beach Gun Owners CRPA Chapter meets the third Wednesday of every month at the Long Beach Rod and Gun Club, 3333 Pacific Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90807. The meeting is from 7 to 8.30 with monthly handgun shoots, FT3 Tactical, and weekly shotgun shoots, L.A. Clays. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm Rick Travis, your host from the California Rifle Pistol Association, their legislative director. And talking with me today is Devin O'Day from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And we've covered everything from corner crossings to some of the different wildlife, but the project that we've been working on for a while is the bear management plan here in California. As I said in the last segment, we have um, a lot more bears than the land can uh, hold. That has caused us to have some issues with bears. And I'm going to go lightly over those before we get into this bear management plan, why it's so important, why you as the public need to understand it. Uh, the bear management plan has to deal with, you know, the number of bears that uh, we may use for hunting, to go into it, and we'll talk about that. But moreover, it's the bears have changed. Bears are omnivores, meaning that they both eat um, plants, vegetables, things like that. But they also go out and they um, eat meats. And so bears, being an omnivore like humans are omnivores, uh, allows them to adapt to their environment. But because of fires, because of overpopulation issues, 
We are now seeing bears that would normally be sole bears just by themselves, looking more like dogs and packs. We've had problems with bear encephalitis, which is a, a rare disease that only happens during overpopulation times. We're seeing bears wipe out um, fawn populations of various deer in the state, which is hurting the herds. Um, we're seeing all sorts of issues, uh, not to mention the human interactions where it may look cute to you that bears are jumping in people's pools and the urban environments. But when you start seeing bulls in central ba- or bears in central Bakersfield, where you would normally see a bull, but now you see a bear, um, those are issues because that means bears have migrated way, way, way far from their normal territorial range. And so looking at this throughout the state um, are people like Devin and myself and others who are trying to formulate a bear plan that will um, allow the public to, to know that bears are being preserved or being cared for, um, but at the same time understanding that uh, too many bears isn't a good thing. And, Devin, I think this all started, you know, um, about 10 years ago when the fight was to remove uh, dogs from hunting bears and we have seen the number of bears taken by hunters drop significantly. And as a result, the population explode exponentially. Yeah, I don't think we've hit the quota um, since since that went into effect. And, you know, then you, you, you speed up, I don't know, eight years later. And there was SB 252, which is a ban on bear hunting altogether, introduced by Senator Weiner out of San Francisco. Um, which, you know, there's no bears in San Francisco. So really not sure why he was leading the charge on that. Um, and, and then that obviously got crushed, uh, fortunately by, you know, some good out, outcries from the hunting community. And then the following year, uh, you've got the Humane Society petition to the Fish and Game Commission, basically putting forth some absolutely atrocious science, um, that was just blatantly false. Um, and, and that, that was trying to justify, uh, a moratorium on bear hunting. And, you know, they were arguing that there are 9,000 bears left based off of some very bizarre and poorly extrapolated data that the department came back. Um, you know, this is a big back and forth between hunters and conservationists and, um, people that want, you know, wanted to see a ban on bear hunting from an emotional standpoint without understanding the science behind it and the North American model. And so, you know, the department came out and said, you know, they, they stood behind their model and they said, you know, actually, we think there are more bears than we had previously disclosed. Uh, and so as a result, we've got the bear management plan in process. And, you know, that's, that's been a positive step. And, you know, I think through that management plan, we've been working to, to hopefully, um, obviously secure and cement the right to hunt bears, but also, um, you know, maybe get a, a second bear tag, maybe get, uh, um, hunting with dogs back. And these are things that, you know, for folks that don't understand, um, you know, when you hunt a bear with dogs, the bear gets treed, the hunter has the opportunity to take their time, uh, evaluate the bear, see if it's a boar or a sow, see if she's got cubs, um, all these things that allows them to make a more educated shot and decide which bear to take as opposed to a bear running through the woods that you have a split second to shoot and maybe you don't see the cubs. Um, so not advising that approach, but that mm-hmm. is the reality and the difference there. Um, and you know, I, I, when you were talking about the, the impacts here, there was another one that I had to mention 
that is not on most folks' radar, but I think it's really important to point out um, mountain lions. You know, the state is really, really, I would say, in some parts, obsessed with mountain lions, um, <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, and there are, uh, so we, we did a project up in Northwest California, um, on some BLM lands doing some conifer encroachment work with BL, uh, with the BLM to support elk habitat up there. And, uh, when I was speaking to the biologist and all the volunteers, they were just telling me, man, there's so many bears. There's so many bears up here. It's just like, you can't even walk through the woods without finding a bear. And the biologist was telling me that the rate of mountain lion kills on deer has increased sixfold in some of those areas because of kleptoparasitism and bears pushing mountain lions off their kills. So mountain lions kill a deer a week usually, and uh, that's what they need to survive. Uh, they kill a deer, bear comes in, pushes it off the kill. Um, we bear usually wins that, not always, but bear usually scares them away. They take the deer because bears are kind of scavengers oftentimes. And then the mountain lion has to go and kill another deer. And so you've got these ripple effects to the populations that, um, you know, are really, uh, detrimental to our deer herds. And, um, also you got these things like bear encephalitis. And so, you know, we've been working to put our money where our mouth is on this issue. We actually helped fundraise for a, a bear population study in Lassen National Park. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had some, we had, uh, some support from other NGOs to, to help fund that. And, uh, that's a cool one. Just looking at the impacts of bears and fires and, uh, how large scale fires impact bear populations. That's something that the humane society was arguing that, you know, we've got all these fires and climate change, so we should stop hunting bears because there's no habitat left. And when in reality, fire is usually a really good thing for bear habitat. And this study will point that out and, and also help the management plan by, um, you know, aiding in the, getting an accurate population estimate, which I think is going to be, you know, probably 10 times what the humane society said it was. All right. I think, I think that's one of the things that we've got to start looking at though, too, is, is educating the public because the public doesn't realize once you get a population of a species out of balance, the ripple effect that is most of the time extremely negative and that these things don't repair overnight. You know, I was talking to one of the biologists about it and just in a given area that was in the Southern Sierras. He was telling me that some of these population studies, what they're seeing, it could take a quarter of a century to get back to where it was once things get reestablished. And I don't think people think in the terms of like, so if you are like new parents and you just had a baby, your baby would graduate and be in the first couple of years of their job from college before things would go back to normal. And when you think in terms like that, you're like, wow, this isn't like a, Oh, we had a small brush fire and we replant and we water and things look pretty good three years later. No, this is, this is going on for a long period of time. And that's with everything working perfectly with nothing else like fires or which we know is not going to be it. So a lot of times it can be a half a century before things get back together. So a lot of these imbalances have long term effects on public lands. Yeah. And like, you know, access to hunt and opportunity, right? I mean, I think you're a hunter in California and you get a deer doesn't matter what the deer looks like. People are like, wow, good job. That's not easy. Um, you know, and I think it's not the way it was a generation ago. Um, and we got to get back there. Yeah, we do. And I think that's one of the important things that people have to realize is that this doesn't happen with any one organization. I mean, we both come from organizations that have 
very high success records in what we do, and we network together. But I think people have to realize that um, no one organization covers everything, and it's a collection of people working together. And that's one of the things I'm trying to get out to the public on this station is that there is a team of NGOs that are working on your behalf, but you, the listener, have to get out of your seat. You have to sit there and start getting involved year-round. And and maybe it's going to one of Devin's events because those are are absolutely wonderful. Or going out, you know, if you're just a fisherman with my good friend and Devin's wing kowtow with his fishing groups and doing stuff, doing things with us at CRPA and others, cow deer, I can go down a long list. But these are the groups that are making the difference in the quality of your access so that when you get out there, there's actually things to see and do and engage in on your public lands. And uh, one of the things that I would strongly encourage you is go to backcountryhuntersandanglers.org. Make sure you're out there on that website. Explore everything. Join. I'm a member. It's a great organization. They do solid work. And folks, people like Devin, I'm just going to say, Devin, thank you, because I personally know how much of your personal life you give up in this mission. And I am internally grateful for it because uh, we need more and more people like you doing the fine work that you do to preserve our public lands. And remember, folks, as I say every week to you, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights here on Firing Line Radio. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM590, the answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.